Welcome to the O'Reilly Design Podcast. I'm your host, Mary Tressler. In this episode, I sit down with Chrissy Brodigan, user experience researcher at GitHub. We talk about user research and product development at GitHub and how user research has helped them improve their product. Enjoy the show. Chrissy, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me, Mary. I'd like to start off with you telling uh, the audience a little bit about your background and what you do at GitHub. I'd love to. So I um, have I have a career narrative that's a little less traditional. I actually started out um, as an undergraduate focused on English and journalism. And then I was pursuing graduate degrees in history and education. I loved the context around literature. And then I went into a PhD program and I needed to fund my what I call my history habit at night um, by taking uh, jobs during the day. So I started to design websites on the side. And what I was studying uh, is the changing image of airborne heroines in American culture. I was looking at the career narratives of stewardesses as they unionized in the 60s um, and established themselves on into the 70s as flight attendants and a, a highly professionalized workforce. I'm super interested in issues around gender and labor. But while I was doing that, and I was, you know, at night and like on the weekends designing these websites, um, I was, you know, typically described as like a pretty shy person. And I was very data driven. And I had this amazing professor who um, was my doctoral advisor. And he, he was looking through my research and he, he actually pulled me aside and he was like, Chrissy, you're doing great work. You know, you've got, um, your, your sources are fantastic. I'm, I'm glad to see you're you know, you've, you've picked up on the Bureau of Labor Statistics and so forth. And he said, but you're missing the story. And I was telling him, no, I'm not missing the story. Like this is, um, these women had to retire usually by the age of 28, um, stewardesses uh, for United Airlines. And they had to retire if they got pregnant. They had to retire if they uh, got married. They had to be single and very uh, attractive women. And I thought this is a terrific story of issues of gender and discrimination. And he said, well, I'm willing to go with it, but you should get out into the field and talk to these women. And I was so upset about it. Um, I did not want to go out into the field and talk to people. And um, I especially felt like I I wasn't going to be able to do a good job. But when I went out and I started meeting with the women that I really was writing their stories about, they told me things like, I had an office in the sky. I visited 17 countries when most women in my generation didn't get to leave the county. Um, they said I got to be part of a legal process uh, that cha- like challenged and changed the rules in my workplace. And it completely, those conversations completely threw my research on its head. And I had to rewrite and start over. Um, I mean, ultimately, getting out into the field and talking to people changed the way that I was looking at the world. So that's how I ended up, yeah, sorry, that's how I ended up pursuing um, research. No, that's fascinating. Um, It's, you know, you hear the line all the time, get out of the building today, and that's, it's not new. (laughs) Um, That's, it's fascinating to hear. Why did you decide, just out of curiosity, um, to approach that particular topic? Oh, so I was raised by a flight attendant and a pilot. and. My mom was fired for getting married uh, to um, to her husband in 1964, and I thought that was a particularly like as I as when I was in you know I'm in my 30s and when I was in my 20s and I was a really feisty college student I I thought this is so wrong it's so it's so sexist it's so just you know it's such discrimination and it's only two decades or so ago 
Mm-hmm. And uh, I really wanted to reach back and figure out what led up to that and why was it okay for companies to behave that way? Um, because it seems so close to my generation. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's, that's a great story. Um, so what do you do at GitHub? So at GitHub, I lead our user experience research team. So I spend a lot of time uh, studying developer workflows. Yeah, so and those are those are workflows that are often collaborative. So how uh, engineers work with one another and how engineers work with people in the workflow who are not engineers, um, who are project managers and designers, um, who are also maybe um, in management roles as well. That's great. So talk to me a little bit about GitHub's approach to design. So when I was thinking about our design process, and I've been at GitHub for about three years, and we have had a series of different iterations um, on the company and on the design process inside of the company. And I think we're always um, moving, uh, especially as our team is growing. So I was thinking about this question, and and I I think if I could choose one word um, to describe our approach, I would go with the word intentional. And by that, when we're designing workflows, um, we have to be really considerate and deliberate about changing or adding anything. Hmm. So because it's really hard, especially when you're doing a workflow, um, we need to know why the change is important, what we expect to happen, and how we're going to measure the impact of that change. At the scale that we're designing at for millions of users and we're growing every day, it's really hard to take something away after you've launched it. Mm-hmm. So we have a our internal philosophy around research is about, you know, when we make our design decisions, we come up with hypotheses about how that design change will impact behavior as well as user experience. So we may need to add a particular control to the workflow, but if it has a negative consequence on the overall experience of our users, um, we may decide that it's not the right decision um, for us to do, even if it's helpful in one area, it causes unhappiness in another. Um, we measure impact with controlled experiments, which are, you know, largely, I think a lot of people would refer to this as A-B testing. Mm-hmm. And we do do some variance testing, um, which is short term. Um, but we also do longitudinal analysis, which is to study a cohort over a longer period of time. And internally, we're always asking ourselves why. And so things like motion and color, they have to serve a purpose inside of our inside of our product. Does that, does that get to sort of a little bit of how how we look at design? Absolutely. I mean, it's I'm curious to know, I was thinking about this before the call. One of the things that I'm curious to know is, I mean, I know a lot of it's, I would imagine it's mainly developers that are using GitHub. Um, I know that just from how we operate inside O'Reilly, but I'm curious, are you seeing more and more non-developer users come in and use the tool? Yeah, so this is a really, this is a really great question. We have and I'm actually right now working on a study um, about what's called the GitHub 365, hmm. which is we've taken, um, we took over 93,000 accounts that have recently gone inactive in the last three months. We wanted to make sure they weren't inactive because of any particular holiday um, seasonality. Mm-hmm. And we reached out to them uh, with a very short survey, five required questions, five optional questions. And the optional questions were about their personal demographics. And the five required questions were largely about why they stopped using the product. And we also asked about programming experience. We're definitely seeing more people um, come to GitHub to tr- uh, like because it's a workflow product mm-hmm. to learn if it's a tool that will fit their needs. Um, and we have like you know a lot of people who are coming in who are 
you know, they're interested in the product, they don't have a use for it today, but they have a feeling they're going to need it at some point in the future with their career. So there's creating their accounts earlier in the process. Um, yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about, um, well, actually, quick question. How many designers are there at GitHub these days? So today we have 19 designers, um, but we are probably going to be doubling that on into 2016, which is really exciting. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And what? give me a sense of what the makeup is of, of the team. Are there various specialties, generalists, that kind of thing? Yeah. So, um, so there are some specialties. I think the ones that I would pull out and put to the side would be that we have two animators on staff. And those animators, um, Tony and Joao, they bring the Octocat to life. So we have occasionally put out some really nice animations, uh, which, you know, which take the Octocat and the Octocat's name is Mona. Um, and uh, they bring Mona to life. And it's really fun to watch them work. Uh, and we also have a visual, like a stunning visual designers, um, folks who focus uh, mostly on um, the pieces of our product that create uh, like our marketing web pages. Um, and then we have people who work inside of the app and they're all assigned and embedded on feature teams. Oh, interesting. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. So I'd like to dig into the user research process there a little bit. Can you talk through what that looks like? Yeah. So we typically follow three steps for research um, where we have a project, like a product manager will request a particular, they, they want to read research something. Um, and they have to come up with a problem statement. Whenever they request research, we say, well, what's the problem? Like, does it really require research? Because um, research can be, we treat research a little bit more like a luxury good. Um, so we want to make sure that if we're going to devote devote time into a study, mm -hmm. um, that we have something that we're really trying to solve, not just research for research's sake. Mm -hmm. um, then the research team, um, members from the research team will design a study specifically for that um, particular product. So we might do survey research. We might decide that we need to do a pre-release or we might move over to a controlled experiment. And then the last thing we do is we collaborate on results. So we bring in the engineers, the designers, and the product manager. And if we're interviewing um, customers, mm -hmm. they will be, at times they'll each take rotations and they'll go on those customer interviews. If we are doing survey work, um, all of our reports get opened up um, as pull requests inside of GitHub. And we collaborate by doing code review or essentially like copy review together on the results. Um, and I love that. We also internally to spread research because research is only it's only useful if more people know about it. Uh, so we host research review sessions. So when we start off um, 2016, uh, we're actually going to have our uh, we're taking three studies and we're going to host a single session about new users and growth um, in January internally for um, our design product sales marketing, um, you name it, teams. Uh, and we published a blog internally um, with a series called Research Methods. And we do that because we're trying to educate people and our partners across teams about our methodologies. So how we design a survey, um, why we're really strict about how we recruit for particular efforts. Um, I think surveys are, you know, are one of the tools, like survey instruments are one of the tools that we use. And a lot of people, when we start off with a survey project, we'll say, well, can I just tweet this link out? And we say, no, 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 don't do that. The reason we don't want you to do that is because we're trying to recruit and reduce bias. And so we use particular methodologies to do that. And we don't want to have a convenient sample. Um, we're using, uh, we're, we're looking for something more scientific. Um, and it's always fun because I think people think, well, it's pretty easy. Anyone can do this. And then you start to get into it and we have some um, 
really, you know, important techniques uh, to help make sure that the data we get is good. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It is interesting. It's um, I'm hearing it across design where designers are trying to teach non-designers across the organization what it is they do, how they do it, what's important. Um, and it sounds like you're doing very much the same thing there. People assume that they know what user research is and perhaps oversimplify it. Um, but if you're going to work across teams, you need them to at least have a, a literacy about what you're doing. Absolutely. And it, it only helps strengthen our research efforts. The more people know about what we do, the better equipped we are as, like when we're actually out in the field or we are deploying a survey as a team. Um, mm-hmm. Absolutely. So I'd love for you to talk about um, this post you wrote about, um, it, I found it really intriguing, where, you know, GitHub had been successful without research. And then here you come. <laughs> and you are become part of the team as a user researcher. Can you talk a little bit about the background of, uh, you know, pre-Chrissy and what, is, what has happened? Yeah. So what I thought was really funny is when I accepted the role and started my job at GitHub, one of the first things I did was I poked around in our, our internal archives and our tools to see what had people been talking about when they talked about user research. And like very quickly, within the first few hours, I found a post by one of my colleagues that said, if we ever hire a user researcher, we're headed down a slippery slope. (laughs) And I thought, oh, no. And at the time, we were um, an organization without managers. We're sort of proudly uh, less organized, less hierarchical. So my first few studies, I would have to approach people to ask them, would they be interested in some user research? And, you know, for a long time, like those first, uh, I guess, six years, you know, GitHub was really successful um, because, you know, it went off of intuition um, and experience. And it had really talented people who were building a product that they, they, were, they would use themselves. So they were solving their own problems. But by 2013, the user base signing up didn't resemble the same user base that was signing up in those early years. And the product also had, per, like, it had itself had professionalized. So it started off for individuals, but it grew an organization's feature. And that org's feature meant that companies were using it. So basic things like user permissions didn't scale very well because companies using GitHub did not resemble GitHub in their own makeup or workflow. Hmm. And so... My boss, uh, Kyle Neath, um, had, you know, made this great write-up internally about why we wanted to hire a user researcher. So I also found that in the archives, too. Oh, good. <laughs> um, which made me feel a lot better. Um, and so um, there was a need for it, but it also meant that for that first year, I would say there was a lot of, there was a lot of, like, work to do to shine a light on blind spots and to work with teams uh, to look to, to care to care more about those blind spots and to be willing to look at those blind spots. And I believe every product has blind spots, but not every team has a willingness to go look at the blind spots. Mm-hmm. And this team in particular, they did. Like they eventually did want to shine a light on it and they did want to, you know, work on things like, you know, how do we make a product that works for organizations that aren't like GitHub? And that was super exciting to me. That's why I love workflows. Like workflows are they're really hard work. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, and I imagine it's user research is, is just more and more important as as you grow and as, you know, your user base grows and becomes more diversified. I think so. I mean, we not only have to know 
like who we're building for. We may get people who are signing up for the product that aren't the right fit for the product. And we want to make sure that our decisions, we don't, we don't overcorrect to try and make a product that works for everyone Mm. Um, because we are trying to get really good at particular things. That's a, that's a really good point. Um, I'd like to talk a little bit about what, what the tools are that you use for your own work there. Yeah. So I think the thing that people find the most interesting um, about how we do user research at GitHub is that we, our team, our research team uses GitHub to research. (laughs) (laughs) So, and I guess what's interesting about that is that, you know, I'm not a developer. um, And so I I had to learn Git and I had to learn how to use GitHub in order to bring research in closer to our code base. Um, So everything has a URL because we use GitHub. So whenever we do a user interview, those notes are written up as a markdown file, opened up as a pull request. Um, A link to the video is part of that write-up. That write-up is then cross-referenced over to the code base. Wow. So it creates a stickiness for engineers who are working on the product. They then see the user research. If they haven't been on the interviews, they are able to see the research happening in tandem to any of the development work that's happening too because it ends up in the same code timeline. And that's probably been the most effective thing that I did was like get out of my comfort zone and go and learn GitHub so that I could bring research in closer to the teams that were building it. Like you just can't unsee it. It's it's actually in your code timeline. And it's really interesting stuff. Um, we, you know, the other thing I use is we use BlueJeans, um, which has built-in recording. Uh, we love to share the videos back with all of our teams. Um, I always have a camera with me uh, because try and take photos. Uh, we do as much as we can out in the field and, and take taking photos of people and they you know, helps to personalize stories. Always my iPad is with me and I have my audio app out so I can make sure to catch things. Um, but I think the thing that if, if you went into my apartment during a study, <laughs> um, you'd think I was uh, some crazy artist because I use low-tech post-it notes for everything. And I like to lay things out and move them around with post-its. There's like a low level of commitment with them. So I have these beautiful windows that overlook the water, but during a study, they're just <laughs> going to be covered with post-its, um, like a Jackson Pollock painting. So, um, and then, of course, like researchers on our team, we don't go out into the field alone. Um, and even when we do remote interviews, no research is not done in isolation from the team. It's not in service of. It's done in cooperation with. So a designer and an engineer will always be a part of our interview cycle. Um, We'll always be a part of the actual, when we do like a research review, um, which is where we present the the outcomes and we have a long report that we've written, but we distill it into a deck. Um, We have the people who are working on that feature team be part of that presentation and that talk to answer questions as well. So my teammates are the other thing that I'm, I'm never without. Those that, are my, my tools. That's awesome. And it's also interesting to note that you, you know, that you go out with engineers. It's not research goes out and then comes back and says, this is what I, this is what we discovered. Um, it's very much a, a collaborated effort. Absolutely. Um, and it's essential because the engineers, especially with Git workflows, will pick up on nuances that I might otherwise miss as well. Mm-hmm. So. Um, we have, I would say, a really strong partnership. Um, it doesn't look like what I thought it would look like when I started at GitHub, um, because those first few studies, you know, I did largely quietly and and trying to absorb in the organization at the same time. And now, you know, I think our engineering team really just like lives and breathes research. Like we we have 
a greater desire for it. And we want to go out. So when we sign, we do signups for our um, user interviews. Um, you know, we always run out of spots because people really do want to get out there and connect with our customers. That's fantastic. Um, so what do you think are the most important characteristics of su- a successful user researcher? So there are two things that I, I really look for for people. I look for their curiosity and I look to make sure that they are also skeptical. So the curiosity piece is that um, I think you need to be curious as a researcher so that you're just driven to uncover new things about people as well as about the bigger world. There's a moment in research studies, like when you're out and you're, you're like putting your data together and you're writing the story where you learn something new that nobody else knows yet. Mm-hmm. And it's really exciting when you get to share that with your partners on the team. And the other thing is that you have to be really skeptical and your skepticism, you know, have your skepticism at the table because if you're willing and able to seek out disconfirmation of your results, it's only going to strengthen your findings. <laughs> and and that's what, that, you know, it, it is a hard thing to do to say, like, I'm willing to be wrong. But I am very often willing to be wrong. And so one of the techniques I would say, you know, that comes with that, like looking for somebody, you know, or having somebody on your team who will um, make sure that, you know, you're asking those questions is when we launch a survey project, we always go through a pre-testing phase where I've never in my career. um, And even recently, I was like, okay, I've never in my career launched a perfect survey. So I always pre-test and I leave um, comment fields. And when I pull the pretest back in, um, the team and I will look at the comment fields to see what are people saying that we've missed with our closed answer options, or did they misunderstand the question in some way? Hmm. And inevitably, not one time in my career have I ever launched a perfect survey. I've always had to iterate on that, you know, eliminate, usually purge that first round of data and go back out with the, with the survey instrument having been changed by the way in which people interacted with it. Um, But being skeptical and knowing that um, there's probably something I've missed, there's probably something I don't know, uh, is has been really useful to me. So I look for people who are also really willing to be skeptics and who will actually like hold me accountable for my work too. (laughs) Right. And there's a certain amount of self-awareness and being present and discovering that and saying, okay, I heard what I wanted to hear, but was that accurate? Um, Interesting. Absolutely. Mm. Yes. Um, So I'd love for you to talk a little bit about beyond surveys being challenging. What are some of the other more challenging aspects of your work? Uh, Such a good question. Um, For me, you know, I think that the most there are like three things that I balance every day at work um, with research. And Mm -hmm. that's how to manage and prioritize relationships, rigor and speed. So of those three, I would put relationships at the top hmm. um, because without relationships in place, people in the organization would be less likely to act on any findings that the research team produces. But in a close second place to that is <laughs> rigor <laughs> because we want really rigorous research. Um, so whenever I'm reading uh, somebody else's report, whether it's inside of the company or it's something produced by another company externally, or even a book, like I always look at like, what, what was the data? Um, like, what's the data source? How was it gathered? What biases are probably at play? Um, specifically, if it's quantitative data, I want to know what cleaning techniques were used before an analysis took place, um, because rigor is really important. Um, and in every report that we write internally, we always include a section about how we did the research so that people understand what biases we think are present 
Mm-hmm. Um, they understand what we've done to actually eliminate them as well. And we can never entirely eliminate them, but we can let people know we're aware of what we brought into the study. And the last thing is speed. And I think this is probably something that affects, you know, most teams that are working in research, which is, you know, like GitHub and the, the tech world, everything seems to be moving. And maybe it's this time of year too, uh, is these are moving just really quickly. Um, and there are tools out there to help with with some research. So you could use a tool like Optimizely for your variance testing. Mm-hmm. Um, but in addition to speed, which is like getting these fast results and fast insights out to teams, um, one of the things that we do at GitHub is we also do longitudinal and like studies and analysis. And the one that I'll point to right now is back in September of 2015, uh, we took a cohort of 94,000 people um, and we started to survey them with short surveys. And we're doing that for one year. So we have insights that are falling out along the way. Um, but this group had just opened an account. And so we're, it's a new, it's a new user study, but it will take 12 months hmm. before we can go back. We can do some perspective work, which is as the insights fall out, um, we can share those along the way. But our retrospective work next year, um, when we say, okay, it's been one year, where did these people end up? Um, is the, you know, it's something that's, it's a lot harder to do. And that kind of uh, data gathering and data analysis and overall organization of that data is chaotic and fun. (laughs) Um, So we're always trying to balance like speed, rigor and relationships. That's I don't think you can go without one of them, though. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and it sounds like this study is going to get you some fantastic information, but hard work for it's, sure. It's exciting. Yeah. Mm. So um, what do you see as some of the more common mistakes that people make when they're conducting research? And um, and how would you suggest people avoid making those mistakes? So I think the thing that people, um, you know, there's a lot of, there's a there are a lot of people who, who want to do like really rapid usability testing, or they want to do really rapid feedback with a survey. And what they'll do is they'll do what, you know, convenient sampling, like where's the most convenient audience? Um, my friends, people I know, uh, people on Twitter, people who follow me, and they'll put a survey link up or they'll like put a call out um, within their social network. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, they'll get a really fast response. Um, and I think that, you know, that unfortunately, you know, it's, it, brings in too much bias. Um, it is easy and it is fast, um, but it it also is is probably not going to give you, it's not going to help you find those blind spots that I was talking about before. And so, you know, I would really, you know, strive to practice, you know, random randomization and sampling people as you develop your user research program. Um, the other thing that I see, and this happens um, with me too, uh, you know, I'll at times accidentally lead the witness. I'll ask a question <laughs> and I'll do it in such a way where I suddenly feel like I'm on a, an episode of Law and & Order and I'm like, <laughs> oh no, I just told you what I wanted you to say back to me. So um, whenever we're doing uh, research interviews, you know, one of the things I love to do um, as a technique is uh, when I do a feature prioritization activity, which is like list out a series of features and ask people to put them in order of most important to least important, mm-hmm. I'll typically put one in there that is not a real feature. And I like to do that because it reminds me uh, to to like slow down, um, but also it, it like opens the door up um, for the actual participant to tell me more of their story. So hmm. um, that that's one, one technique I would use. Um, and I encourage people, I had a boss um, at a past job, uh, uh, actually at Mozilla, who's, who told me, she said, remember the mom. And it's, 
a Japanese word for a pause. And she would always encourage me, you know, just slow down and pause when you're talking to people. It's okay. You don't need to fill the space with words.、Mm-hmm. Um, let them fill the space. And you're probably doing that with me here. So, <laughs>、um, the other common mistakes I see are people skip pre testing. You know, you, you've got a survey instrument, you're really excited about it, or you've done, you, you know, put together a variance test and you're ready to roll and you put it out there.、Um, and unfortunately, when you do that and you don't look at the data, Um, as a pretest set,、uh, either you have reached out to too large of a sample and it's hard to pull it back.、Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, survey tools also sometimes have bugs. Like, I still to date in my career have not worked on bug, like, worked with or on bug free software.、Um, and I think when people skip pretesting,、uh, they miss the opportunity to improve their own work based、mm-hmm. on the experiences from other, based on experiences other people will share about it. And then, Choosing the right methodology for the project at hand. Like, there is no one study fits all. And the last thing I would say is that people, especially today, I think people are just loving graphs. And I see graphs in a lot of places. <laughs> They're like nice to look at, but they can also be dramatically misleading、um, if you don't know what the, like, if you don't, if the data hasn't been cleaned, for instance, or, you know, what are they really trying to tell you with that graph?、Um, and, I think that's, you know, that's something that、um, dashboards can do a really good job of is like they can present some information, but you can miss important stories there. So, you know, with us,、uh, we have lots of, of different tools that we use.、Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes, you know, what we, what we do is we have to make some hard decisions about, you know, what we're studying and if it makes sense to continue. And so we have these. Two questions we ask. Like, we'll look at our study and our workload、mm-hmm. um, and we'll say, you know, is this interesting? Yes, it typically is. Just about everything we try and study <laughs> is interesting. But then we'll ask the second question, which is, is this going to be impactful right now? And we'll say no. And we'll have to set that study down for a while because whenever you say yes, to, if you say yes to everything, you're essentially saying no to many things. And I would say that would be another common mistake, which is, Saying yes to too many things.、Mm, right, because you're curious and, and,、yeah. and you want to find everything out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but it's prioritizing for sure.、Um, that's, that's super interesting and smart.、Um, so I have one final question for you.、Uh, I'd love to hear what projects and people beyond the, you know, the work that you're doing there, what, what's grabbing your attention these days? Yeah. So the thing that's grabbing my attention outside of GitHub is the work that's being done by the team at Code 2040.、Um, and I'm really excited. That's an organization that's located in the Bay Area that helps to place minority college students, students of diverse backgrounds,、uh, with internships, fellowships at companies. And they have a massive program of support so that in addition to, you know, the time that you spend At the company doing your internship, you're also getting mentored、um, and partnered up with other companies and people to help you with, you know, as you develop your early years of your career narrative. And so I think that, you know, somebody like Laura Weeman Powers,、um, you know, helped to co found and she is leading that, that organization right now. And I think she's a remarkable woman. At, people are building lots of cool things in tech, but lately I'm, Most interested in how organizations and teams are structured and how they're using data to design more diverse organizations.、Hmm. And so we're talking about blind spots and product development, but 
I think this is like a good opportunity to say that there are blind spots in our organizational development as well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, groups like Code 2040 are willing to work with companies um, like GitHub, for instance, to shine a light into the areas that, you know, to say like, this this is where we don't have as much of a diverse workforce as we should. And um, that that's the kind of research that I'm looking at next. That, that's exciting. That is exciting. Well, thank you, Chrissy, so much for joining me. I truly appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me, Mary. I'm really excited to um, to participate in the conference too. Excellent. You can reach Chrissy through her Twitter handle at TenaciousCB. Thank you for listening. You can subscribe to the O'Reilly Design Podcast through iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or TuneIn, so you never miss an episode.